Sanchez Hello, welcome back to Podcast 99. I'm Ryan Lichten. Today we have another survivor story. We have Anthony, a filmmaker, a interesting guy, a horror fanatic, and Woodstock 99 attendee. Uh, this is a good one. He, he remembers so much. Uh, so this is a, a fully loaded episode. Um, lot, lots, of, lots of highlights. Um, and, you know, we're, we're always glad to do more of these. I got one more in the chamber um, to release after this one. Um, we're trying to keep it going. But again, we are focusing on our other show, Culture Dumps. If you have not, make sure to check it out. Also, um, we have over 100 bonus episodes from multiple different series on our Patreon, patreon.com slash culture dumps. That includes uh, Ryan's Report, which is my current events show, um, mostly pop culture stuff. I don't really get too too heavy. Um, also, Squirts, where we just kind of riff on topics. We also have Parks's radio show, WDUMP, The Brown Sound. We have DocuDumps, where I review and suggest documentaries. Um, we also do Woodstock 99 set commentaries, where you put it on and watch along with us. So be sure to check that out. really helps us out. Um, and, you know, share the show. Tell everyone about it. If we post something, feel free to reshare it. We love that. That, that helps us out. But without further ado, here is my interview with Anthony. All right. Well, folks, I'm here with Anthony. Uh, you went to Woodstock 99. Very, uh, you're, I, I like when people send us an email and they include a bit, like, because we get so many emails where people are just like, I went, you want to talk? And it's like, dude, no, like, but you gave me, like, the preview. Like, it was like, a, you know, like the, the trailer to your story. And uh, it seems like uh, had quite an impact on you. Yeah, it did. And I think that, honestly, if we uh, we go deep into the recesses of the minds of just about 300,000 people who went there, I think that uh, psychologists have gotten a few co-pays from that experience over the years. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, Jesus. Uh, some, you know, more than others, I'm sure that there's, uh, you know, there's different levels of trauma that comes from, you know, Woodstock 99, I feel like, from, like, the kind of silly, like, oh, that shit was crazy, to, like, actual, like, PTSD inducing, you know, incidents, but, um, well, I'm sure we'll get to all that stuff. So let's set the stage. It's 1999. Where are you at? What are you doing? What's life like? How did you hear about it? Life is grand. Just trying to figure everything out at the ripe old age of 20. Couldn't even drink yet. Was about a month away from getting, uh, having my first legal beer. Um, my girlfriend had turned 21 at the time in April, so she had a head start on me. So she was getting ready for the show. And uh, I remember when it was first announced, I was uh, working at a record store at Sam Goody. Uh, so music was my life at that point. It really was my gateway into figuring stuff out in life. I mean, punk, metal, just about everything. But meanwhile, I'm working at a pretty commercialized store. But it still was better than a lot of work that was out there at the time. Didn't, it was my favorite job, but it didn't pay anything. And I think a lot of people at the time could relate to that. So what? I was making about, I don't know, five twenty-five an hour. And this plays into the story wow, going forward. Yeah. I mean, you start seeing the prices on water at the festival and basically an hour of work equaled one bottle of water. <laughs> so it was... It's like in the gulag. Yeah, legit, legit. But uh, 
I remember uh, hearing about it, seeing MTV news, all that stuff, and uh, realizing tickets were going on sale. So, I mean, we were in that little in-between phase of, I mean, Pearl Jam in the early 90s was anti-ticket master going against the big machine. And then the advent of the internet really taking off around late 90s, early 2000s, where we were still doing stuff by mail or a hotline. So I remember having to call the hotline to get the three-day pass. And like I said, making $5.25 an hour and then paying $150 bucks for tickets. Um, tall order, but I mean, we were all really pumped after Woodstock 94 because so many awesome acts played that. I mean, sure, the Mud People got a majority of the uh, attention on that, which was cool. It's, it's an experience, yeah, sure. right? It's a, it's something marketable for the folks that 99 could run with. And we saw the machine that the marketing team was with 99. They really, from 94, it was marketed well, but my God, in 99, just it was like this perfect storm that occurred that made all of the events that happened around that when you look in the rearview mirror you're like of course that was going to happen right yeah i mean with 94 it's kind of the forgotten one you know um and i think it's because generally it it went well you know like the acts were good like a lot of a lot of most of the bands that played at 94 are still you know revered as like these you know amazing artists and stuff whereas 99 kind of has this like you know it has the the shade of new metal and then the kind of shadow that that's you know cast over it that you know it's i mean now it's coming back but for like from pretty much like 2003 to like now you know like limp biscuit was like a joke to people and creed and like all that stuff so i feel like 99 gets so much more attention not just because of what happened but also it's, it was just so much more of like a glimpse into a period of time as opposed to 94 where you had like groups that are still on the top of their game now you know and, and had been forever um so that's interesting but you, you didn't go to 94 right you just heard about no it at and, that point saw it on tv and stuff. yeah 94 i was uh let's see how old was i i was probably 16 17 uh right still it didn't have like a, a car to drive out uh, I know that my folks, my grandparents would definitely not be thrilled about that. At this point, I was of age. I could really uh, let go of the rules of the house and just go live an experience. You know what I mean? So all right. of this, this, this anticipation building up to it to say that I can finally go to one of these massive festivals because I've been to Lollapalooza, a few other large shows, um, and, uh, God, I mean, Metallica was everywhere at that age. You know, it was a, it was a gateway for a lot of kids growing up, and I remember that. So just to see them headlining yet again was just like a perfect end cap. But my God, I will give them credit for this. The way that the evenings were spread out with the headliners, it was just banger after banger after banger for that time. I mean, to see Rage and then Corn and then Metallica all in one night was just... That's great stuff to look back on. And, you know, the great part about these festivals is those bands use it as an opportunity to tease new music for next albums. Long before, like, right. it was, and, and we were just coming upon Napster at the time. So you're starting to get the sneak songs that came out. I remember all the the hoopla over, uh, what was that song from Mission Impossible 2? Uh, Disappear by Metallica. That was the big deal that really pissed them off about Napster. But oh, you right, would, yeah. I literally would go to shows from 96 97 small shows or just local concerts and i had a walkman that had a recorder in it 
and it had yeah <laughs> so i would literally put the mic uh up on my shirt on the inside of it so nobody could see me recording it because the bootleg market of cassettes and cds in the 90s was huge because we didn't have access to to where we are now it, it feels it's so funny it's like 20 just a little over 20 years ago but yet it feels like a completely different world we're in right now when it comes to this stuff yeah i mean everything started moving really fast after 2000 um you know i i even remember that and i was i was a kid um so i mean with the exception of like you actually liking you know a lot of the bands that were playing i mean did you did it feel like it was woodstock like in the sense of what's i mean like like was that part of the mentality going into it like was like this is i gotta be a part of woodstock or was it like no i just like all these bands that are playing and it just happens to be called woodstock. i think it was both but I, I think that anybody at the time who said that you know i'm gonna get the woodstock experience could just take one second to look at the lineup and go i mean what was the catchphrase i think it was this ain't your mama's woodstock i believe right <laughs> and i it, yeah yeah this wasn't anything this was just a different name for a massive festival in my book it was just like using the brand of woodstock to plaster it on it uh it i mean for anybody with a half an ounce of knowledge of the way that business works you know that like they're just milking this golden calf for all it's worth yeah absolutely so how do how do you get ready like how does one prepare who are you going with how are you getting there what do you bring so uh i'm the driver uh we have three we have two tents we have my uh my tent with liz and her cousin angela had one as well so we go to the store buy tents we get water we get some stuff we, we not knowing what we were going to get into when we got to the gates um so we're driving from boston uh it's not too far of a drive it's only a few hours but we start pulling into the town off of the highway and the gridlock started at like i don't know seven eight in the morning and we got an early start we left at like 5 a.m so we probably got there around 8 39 and it was slow going i think we finally got into the parking lot well the parking area which i don't know if you've heard any stories about this but this was something right out of the gates that just stuck with me so we finally right. get yeah, yeah. we finally get onto the air force base and the parking areas are on the outer perimeter obviously uh not just the wooden fences but the way that it was set up was and i don't know if they do this at all the in military installations but it wasn't flat there were rolling hills on the outer perimeter of the air force base not massive i would say like three to four foot hills and you know i, I can speculate as to what they were there for maybe somebody may try to ram the gates when the, the air force base was functioning but i remember i'm looking at it going somebody's gonna lose a muffler or something like that on this so we're pulling in the lot and there's a car with washington state license plates in front of me so even <laughs> worse so who knows they may have attended college locally and just drove from washington or worst case they actually drove in from washington state they pull in they take the right i'm the next one to, to turn into a spot front end falls off the guy's car oh my god yep. wait because he hit the hill hit the hill front end goes off front end falls off and i just went it's gonna be a long drive for that guy <laughs> yeah fuck it's gonna be a no drive yeah legit just completely <laughs> fell right off right in front of him on the hill i see them looking at it and i'm like look we're already late you know 
let's just get out of the car and get in. So we get in and we're actually, we don't get in. We start walking and people are already fired up. All you smell is weed. Everybody's drinking openly. Everybody was having road sodas on the way in. And so people are getting primed. So we get to the gates and we see security there and there was no real continuity as to what they were accepting in and weren't accepting in. It just was the luck of the draw of whoever you had for a security guard. First thing they see is our water and they're like, you can't bring that in. Oh and God. it's already, what, 11 a.m., 98 degrees, 100% humidity. Fuck. And we're like, you've got to be kidding me. Meanwhile, I see a dude three three lanes down bringing in a 12-pack at the time. <laughs> and I'm like, what's this? But at that point, we're just like, let's find a spot to put our stuff down, get a good camping spot. It was more of getting a prime spot that wasn't too far away from everything. So in our infinite wisdom, which would come to bite us in the ass in <laughs> a couple days, we found a spot probably 40 yards away from bathrooms and showers. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seemed like a good idea, didn't it? Did. Until literally at the end <laughs> of the first day. And we'll get to that. But uh, so Liz had already been having a few drinks. We're setting up the tent. And I remember her leaning down. Now, Liz had a uniform. So Liz always wore like an Adidas uh, like uh, track jacket jeans stuff like that and it's really hot out and i'm like you should change into your shorts and a t-shirt seriously i'm like it's hot as hell we hadn't even seen the tarmac yet so she leans down all of a sudden her nose starts bleeding like oh and i'm God. not talking like a little bleed but like a gusher and we're like what the hell is going on here so next stop medical tent severe dehydration already and it, we haven't even finished putting up our tent like it, people were oh already in there at like noon, one p.m. For and this is Friday. Friday, day one. People were already okay. in there with dehydration. We weren't the only people in there. Like people were falling already. Oh yeah. God. So I get a Gatorade. She's got an IV. So we're in there for about ninety minutes or so, and we start seeing a line of people now waiting to get in there. We got an assortment of injuries already. She gets out. We get the tent finally squared away, and we're like, all right, let's pace ourselves. Let's look where the water locations are just to make sure in case this happens again and uh, try to get the lay of the land. I remember hitting that tarmac, and it looked like out of a movie where you know when you're driving through a de you know those scenes in the movie where you're like in the desert and you see that heat rising off the pavement? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That literally was what we saw. And when we started walking on that, the temperature instantly went up by about 15 degrees. So it was probably about Holy a buck shit. 20 in the ground at least. So, and that was a majority where people walked to the venues. That was what you had to take it. Yeah. I mean, what, what was your, I mean, be, be, minus the heat and the nosebleed and all the shit that you've already gone through and you haven't even fucking seen a Not band one. yet, but like, but, um, I mean like just showing up to a, a military, like an air base. I mean, what was your kind of first impression on just seeing where this concert was going to be held? I mean, was it something you were expecting? Did it strike you as odd? Like what, what was your, knowing it was an air force base, there was aspects to it that I found kind of cool. 
uh, especially the uh, the turret that overlooked the tarmacs. And that turned out to be, when we saw the documentaries, that's where all the big wigs were staying up there with the air conditioning, all the event coordinators. So we saw that. I mean, that was so elevated above everything. You kind of could gauge where you were going off of that. The men in the tower. Yes, exactly. So we, <laughs> and then you saw all the hangars that still existed, where they had the raves and stuff like that. And the rave, the rave story was. I think I may have alluded to in the email to you. That was. Um, we'll get to that on night two. But we're walking down. We finally get uh, to this ocean of people. We just literally went. Finally, this is the visual representation of what this event was advertised as. Like, this is like, okay, this is Woodstock. There's already, I would say there's already 100 to 150,000 there. A lot of more people trying to park, get their stuff set up and head in. But all that we knew was people were obviously walking around naked because people thought that that was a rite of passage. I know a lot of people just commercialized the hell out of it. So they're like, okay, there's no, there's no rain this year. So I guess we're just going to just go naked. So that's all you saw. It was a ton of people walking around naked. Uh, you know, the crowds in and of themselves were great because they didn't exactly have too many heavy groups during day one to open it up, from what I remember. I, I haven't really checked, right. but it was just kind of they eased into it. It was like a torch passing, I think, of older bands because P-Funk, I remember playing, George Clinton and them. Uh, I really wanted to see them, but Liz's medical stay kind of pushed that aside. But uh remember going in there, not even paying attention to the band, but just kind of taking it in, being like, oh, wow, this is just an impressive display of humanity right now. And uh, then, <laughs> you know, like... It's so ominous. Yeah. And, and like, you look at it and you're like, but in your head, you're not expecting it to go as south as it went. You're like, all right, everyone's at the destination let's just make the best of it have a good time it is hot like i remember just looking at the stage and looking at the people going man this is this is pretty rad i'm like man it is hot i just kept saying that <laughs> and then I, when she's like hey do you want to get closer the closer we got because now you're back on the grass so the temperature marginally dropped but the body heat when you were in there you're like man i just i can't i can't stay here too long because you were just profusely sweating and you know humid heat Humid heat, you just have to change right, like yeah. five shirts a day. And and at that point, I think they were banking on everybody to buy Woodstock shirts. Because I remember walking, I, I didn't pay attention to the merch so much as I was the water at first, just because of the simple situation we were in. And we just beelined to the front to just get some of the experience. And as we're walking back, that's when we noticed the merch stands. And then the food prices, we already were like, what is going on here? Like, it's just... Like, how are they expecting people to pay for this stuff? And now you're rationing your money out. You're like, all right, do I want, you can't get all the swag. You, you, everybody wants a t-shirt or a tchotchke, right? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But yeah. now you're saying, okay, I can't get a shirt or two shirts. I have to ration this out now because water's like five out of the gates. And then that was the tricky part. Like, why is it now up to six and seven bucks by day three? And we'll get there. But I remember walking around. We just wanted to get our bearings on day one, so we really didn't see much music. We saw the t uh, the rave area was was having just a handful of people because it was daytime, and folks at night like to go there. Um, and we just saw just 
everyone just doing the whole like Disney World experience of looking around like, wow, we're here, you know? Yeah, I mean, what what kind of uh, like as you're walking around, I mean, besides like naked people, I mean, are you seeing any other like interesting characters that stand out or like th things that were came as a surprise to you, you know, just taking it all well, in on that first Well, day? when you get water denied at the front gates, when you start seeing a guy walking around with a four or five foot tall tank of nitrous with balloons selling them for five dollars, <laughs> it becomes a bit of a head scratcher. So, right. um, and that, and I've been in a couple of Facebook uh, Woodstock groups, and every so often I'll chime in. I'll be like, "Hey, does anybody remember uh, the guy with the nitrous tank?" And everybody's like, "Yes, I actually bought like two off of them that weekend, and like stuff like that." <laughs> but I'm just like, "What is going on here?" You know, like what? It, what are people like? It, it just there was no consistency in this. Yeah, I uh, I just remember that. I remember just it, literally everywhere was marijuana. Uh, this, it was just basic. You could get marijuana easier than you could get beer simply because people were selling weed for a cheaper price than beer, you know? Right. Like, yeah, that, yeah. That's, sure. that's just the way it went. A lot of people were candy flipping, a lot of ecstasy use, uh, acid. I mean, acid's kind of like the inadvertent official drug of, of Woodstock to begin with. So sure, yeah, there were yeah. people who were taking acid having trips but were so dehydrated they were just like they looked like there were there were over the weekend you just started seeing bodies everywhere like that was <laughs> it was like apocalypse now meets woodstock and it was just like I, lord of the flies is people have mentioned that it, it turned into that over the three days that is a guarantee it did people were it wore in them and I, you know, day one, just thinking it was one day of heat. It was like, I think that the official temperature. I remember in the news they said day one was like ninety eight, day two was like ninety nine, and then day three was like ninety eight again. And it was just insufferable humidity. Um, but it, it just that's what ended up wearing on folks. So by the end of when the sun started setting, everybody finally was starting to congregate towards the stages. That's where you saw most of the folks because, okay, day one, people considered, I think, a travel day and parking day and getting right. settled day. And what I saw by night one was probably around 225 to 250,000 at the main stages. And as the sun's setting and you're seeing that plume of weed smoke just flying out and just seeing the people there, it was just something to really behold. And that, that's one of the romanticized moments for me. Um, but then Saturday, Saturday was where the, the shit hit the fan, really. It, sure. Yeah. I mean, when you, so, I mean, and corn played on, on the first night. Yes. So it's like, you, you have that. Did you catch them yes. at all? I mean, that's I was, the, the, the seminal. I was very close for the corn set. And I, after the, so the corn set, they were obviously one of the bands that every single person wanted to see there. It was just unreal because they were also teasing new music too from albums that they had yet released but i mean we walked to the front we got i'd say within 200 feet of the stage and it was it was hot but it was Jesus. at night but it was still close and just i think that the craziest part was the movements of people like you really didn't have too much control over your own person from simply when people would start jumping because you're all packed in like cordwood 
and just moving back and forth like you were stuck in a tide. Like, it was like, it was literally, when they say an ocean of humanity, I mean, you look out and it's an expanse of, of people, but when you actually feel like you really aren't in control of yourself and you're just trying to grab onto your people to make sure that you don't get pulled away with the tide, so to speak, that was a right, wild yeah. part of it. Like, why, like something you, I have never experienced before or since is that feeling of just, holy crap, I am not in control right now. Now, is that, I mean, you're, you know, a young buck at that time. I mean, was that something that was scary to you or were you like, were you in the moment? I was, like, I was having a good time with it. I was more impressed by it because I felt like, all right, if I dig my feet in and decide to just, you know, tighten up i could put up some resistance but at that point i'm like i want to feel this moment and right th that's sure. why i'm able like honestly this part i didn't remember until we started talking and that's the best part about this podcast like <laughs> that like it brings back all of the the senses because when, sure. when you start going through it chronologically it just hits you and when i just remembering that movement back and forth. I'm st we're not on, you know, you folks aren't going to see this on video, but at the same time, I feel like I'm rocking in my chair, just getting back in that moment, feeling that experience again. But yeah, corn just absolutely nailed it that night. Yeah. And I mean, you know, again, that's like kind of, um, I mean, it's one of the most legendary sets of the whole, the whole deal, but like, it's interesting that, you know, for being such an aggressive band with that big of a crowd, I mean, it's, people got hurt like it, it was estimated like that like w some person was brought to the med tent like w like a couple every minute yeah. of that yeah set. I, I see i saw but, the bodies uh, go but over. but it, it wasn't like limbiscuit where people are like breaking stuff and shit so it's interesting that like everyone was kind of on board on night one it seemed i mean would, would you agree that everyone was kind of working together to have a good time just for that day yeah <laughs> and then it kind of started falling and apart. I, I think that that's i think i kind of alluded to that a little bit it was like day one you still have that initial high in that adrenaline rush of like we made the destination let's have fun but i think that as soon as people's wallets started getting a little thin and then they started seeing all of a sudden that five dollar bottle of water is now six or seven bucks and you're exhausted you're dehydrated that it wears on the human condition whether it be mentally or physically and at that point it was the perfect storm for this to happen so on night one full of joy i don't think anyone thought that that would be the i felt bad for the bands that came on night two and night three because i feel like they inadvertently get a little more guff than they deserve i think that the the, the show sure. makers knew who they brought in they're not just musicians at this point they're all around entertainers they're a brand and they bring their brand to this event so you know who they signed i think that there was a disconnect because we saw helicopters coming in and out every day with the bands coming in so it wasn't like the, all of the bands stayed there for three days and were had their finger on the pulse of exactly what was going on the whole time you know right. and i think that the folks on the, the literally the, the phrase the boots on the ground for the concert goers it really started fatiguing them and it was more of it went from i can't wait to see so and so tonight to how am i going to get through 
the end of this day. I think that it started setting in on Saturday night, really. Late Saturday afternoon, early Saturday night was, I don't know if I can do this for another day and a half. How are we going to get through this? I paid a buck fifty to get here. Travel expenses, all of that. And now the stuff that I put money in to bring into the venue, I can't even get in depending on who's going to allow me in. Yeah, well, it's just too bad you didn't bring a giant tank of nitrous oxide yep. duly noted <laughs> i've tried it at every other concert i've gone to since <laughs> on a dolly and everything <laughs> so i mean when you go to sleep monday night and then wake up and now it's saturday morning so now the, the place has been through a pre-show plus a, a full actual day of woodstock i mean was there a difference in the way that the place looked or that like attitude of people what like what was the kind of difference between falling asleep monday and then waking up saturday? well i think that there was still excitement on saturday morning but what woke everyone up was these vinyl tents just not breathing. And you're Ugh. you're literally waking up just like covered in sweat. So people who just got banged up on Friday night were waking up just even worse with dehydration. Um, I woke up and I wasn't even drinking on night one. And I was like, I'm like, oh, I'm like, I... So we sleep tonight and then we're gone by Sunday. I go, I think I can deal with one more night of this. But that even then I was it started to question it. But we got out of the tent and people were all in their areas starting to talk to each other, starting to get to it started turning into that Woodstock spirit on day two in the morning because the, it wasn't noon yet. It was probably about people were waking up at like 7 38 a.m. because they were waking up and it was already 80 degrees with 100 percent humidity. And they're in these confined spaces where, look, it was just Liz and I in one tent, but you got other tents where like six friends are staying in a tent. So you combine the body heat in there. Jesus Christ. And this, you know, this the toilets on day one when we woke up, I'm like, okay, you know, it never hurts to take a shower after you've been out in the heat for that long. But I woke up, I looked at the area, and I think Liz had beaten me to being awake. And she's like, Hey, I walked by the showers, and she's like, yeah no and she was even saying i saw a couple of guys <laughs> trying to go on the women's side like a porky's movie you know what i mean oh Jesus. and it, yeah, so yeah. It was, that was already there and i'm like eh, i don't know and then i started seeing the toilets and the line for the toilets and before they overflowed people were coming out being like you know you know the porta potty sound when the door slams because it's on a spring mechanism sure. so you hear it slam and just the looks of people's faces you didn't even have to ask. <laughs> They're like, that was just like every Valley girl stereotype. Like that was disgusting. Like that's all you heard right. the whole time. <laughs> so at, at that point, I'm like, oh, do I find other places to go? And at that point, I'm like, you're doing the math in your head. Like how bad do you have to go? But you do. So day one, it hadn't overflowed yet. But what was happening was that they were not maintained. They were clearly not being maintained. So even at that point, uh, we all know how it just absolutely went downhill, but nothing had started pulling up Saturday morning yet. And then we woke up. We uh, ended up trying. I remember I got a sausage uh, with peppers and onions for breakfast, and that was like six, seven bucks at the time, I think. And I'm just like, I don't... yeah. Now that would be a deal, but back then, that's like that's like the equivalent of like almost like twenty bucks. Legit, right? yeah, yeah, legit. And at that point, I was looking at my wallet, and I'm like, hmm. I'm like, I still got a day and a half here, and I still got to get gas on the way home. 
I didn't have a credit card at wow. the time, you know? So you do, you start, you start to think about that. And then you start to think about looking around, like a lot of these folks don't look like they have more money than me right now. You know what I mean? I hate to judge a book by its cover, but at the same time, you're looking around like this is going to be a hard run for folks. But I remember, yeah, yeah. so then I started seeing folks, there were these cement, circular cement areas with little water fountain mechanisms in them. And I, I remember saying, if the water's too expensive, I can go over to one of those and just refill my water, right? But then I started seeing people bathing in them because they didn't want to go in the <laughs> showers. And I was like, oh man, there goes that idea. And I'm like, well, if I wipe it down, like after people are gone, like you just go through this in your head, like trying to do the math. And there was just such a mass humanity. There was a line for that because people were already overwhelming the showers that they just wanted to do that. So I remember on uh, on day two, I think it was Jamiroquai was playing, if my memory serves me correct. That I remember going down there to see I that. Think they day were, one? I think they were, I'm pretty sure they were a day one. Day one, yeah, day one. But, uh, sorry about that. Yeah. No, it's all, I mean, dude, trust me. The passage of time uh, allows <laughs> sure. for mistakes on this show. I have a lot uh, of grays in my beard. Like, all the other <laughs> shit that was going on, you know what I mean? You, you had a lot on your plate well, that weekend. <laughs> I mean, there is one definite thing on Saturday that I will never forget, and I don't think anyone will ever forget because it's the number one thing that's talked about about Woodstock when Limp Biscuit went on stage. And yeah, when you thought that the visuals on Friday of the mass of people was huge. And this was before they really, like they were literally just about to hit the top of the mountain when it came to their popularity. This just catapulted them into the stratosphere. So I remember going with Liz and her cousin up there and I said, the crowd looks bigger. <laughs> it looked right. it, like we're talking like 300 now, like, because what the way I gauged it was off of the tarmac, off of the stage if you're facing the main stage on the far back on the left they had the water and concession stand and i kind of use that as a gauge of how many people are, are coming in and out when i started seeing the crowd surpass that area that's when i started saying okay now we're dealing with tons of people today so before we got there they had a bus that they were offering like they would ride school buses from woodstock into the town has anyone talked to you sure. about this yeah 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 so oh yeah 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 so i remember saying okay i'm really holding going to the bathroom and they said there's a burger <laughs> king in town and the line oh, i've heard about the burger you, king you did okay okay so the, the we're riding on the bus into town and we look and the line is blocks down for just the one bathroom at burger king like it, well, like we can't even use that now because we're gonna we're gonna miss stuff. We didn't want to. It was that like I need to do this for myself to go to the bathroom, or do I regret not seeing this act? You know what I mean? We're doing that balance. So we went back and I said, you know what? I'm seeing these people come in with beer, and so now Liz is like, I'm gonna bring beer because people are bringing beer in, and I'm like, well, we need to get water too because we can't. I'm like. If they're going to let beer in, they got to do it. So I remember people getting more aggressive coming back with the security and finally speaking up saying, wait a minute, 
you just let that guy in down there with this and you're not letting us come in with this are you kidding me right people were starting to get like visibly angry with security on day two and in hindsight rightfully so because i mean we've seen the interviews now you know where they were recruiting from you know like sure yeah walk of the draw so we were able to get in with our stuff that day so we were like all right we're going to be able to get by but i had remembered that morning when i told you about the circular cement thing with the water people were bathing in i filled up one bottle with that and that's going to play into what happened afterwards after the event was all over (laughs) yeah it was bad man like it was bad instant diet two weeks later like bad but um oh fuck yeah we both got really ill um so we came back and then we we put everything in our tent and we're like just try to hide it we remember liz took off her jacket and we hid the beer walking in in her adidas jacket so that nobody would <laughs> nobody would see that we were bringing in beer and get our <laughs> tent broken into right like like right. oh, we're being yeah, super sure. secret about this so we put in the tents and i said enjoy your warm beer for later because we don't have a friggin' cooler so she's like hey i'll take what i can get but we go to the we go up for limp biscuit and i remember trying to get through the crowd was just a feat in and of itself like people didn't want people getting closer to the stage because there was so many people trying to get their spot we got up if you're looking at the stage i wanted to go into the pit because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity this is chaos and i had been in pits before that were actual pits this was just the commercialized one so you look off to the right of the stage more jumping up and down than like punching right yeah it was no yeah exactly in the real ones right you're just dancing but in this one people were just trying to land shots i remember that jesus christ so i we got to the edge of the pit so if you're looking at the stage on tv it wasn't the, it was the far right one you could see it off like on the edge of the screen i remember getting up to the edge of it and liz is like why aren't you going in i'm like i'm trying to time it because this is like jumping <laughs> into uh an escape from new york tornado yeah <laughs> like yeah dude like i'm at the cusp of it i'm trying to time it i'm like if i jump in now i won't get my footing under me and i could get trampled Guess what happens? I feel two hands on my back from Liz shove me right in. And <laughs> and now I'm in no control, none. And I'm just trying to get my feet under me. So when I finally do, I turn around, elbow right to the nose. Oh, fuck. And, I, and I'm wearing a white shirt. I'm wearing a white shirt at the time. So I looked like just gushing down the front just blood all down the front of my shirt but i'm like you know what it ain't it ain't gonna get worse so just ride it out you know so we just rode it out got out of the pit i looked at her i'm like what were you thinking and she goes oh my god what happened to you i go i don't know what do you think happened so we we see the set (laughs) jesus christ and we and actually the cool thing was um you know how everybody sees the kids that were riding the uh torn off parts of the the tv stand when i was coming out of the pit because it was during break stuff that i was in there so when i was coming out jesus christ 
Yeah. So I, I, I like, I went DEFCON 5 when I chose my, my point, smartly chose <laughs> my point to get in the pit. So I'm coming out and I look off to the right and I see those kids on those broken pieces of wood surfing towards the front. So now when I get back and I'm reminiscing and watching these documentaries, I'm looking at it going like, I still remember burnt into my memory, my point of view for this pop culture moment. And it's just so weird yeah. to know that I was there for that. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, we, we always said that, you know, the, the moment when Fred Durst gets on a piece of plywood that's, that's sent up to him, that's the Jimi Hendrix star spangled banner. Absolutely. Stock 99. Ab no doubt. No doubt. So to know, like, you know that meme where Oscar the Grouch has the helicopters flying over his head and he's staring <laughs> off? Like that's yeah. my that's my moment for that. So I just you're remember like, looking off. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like smoke spots for the the helicopters to land, all that stuff. But <laughs> you know, but I remember leaving there. Clearwater's playing in the background. Oh yeah, all day, all day. So I remember in between sets, obviously seeking medical attention. They said, luck. <laughs> I remember going there and the woman just saw the blood on my shirt and she's like, all right, he's coming to the front because I can actually see his injury. So I came up, right. she looked at it and she goes, kid, she goes, you're lucky as hell. It didn't, because I was still, because I was checking it and I was like, I was breathing all right. And I'm like, it, I'm like, this feels like I broke it, but it, it's not. I didn't have to shift it. It wasn't crunching. She goes, you're lucky. It's not. She goes, just get cleaned up. Here's a Gatorade. Enjoy your day. I'm like, perfect. Free uh, gate for only going, free going thing. Going to I the got. med tent. Med tent right, was, was, say, med tent was like awesome, a pretty good man. deal. Yeah, dude. They honestly <laughs> they, <laughs> had like, a great time at the med tent. <laughs> unsung heroes of that event were really the med tent people, and I think that in a documentary when they were documenting the sexual assaults, like you really got to know that the folks in that tent, out of a majority of the people that ended up working it were really the people who kept that thing together with duct tape because I'm sure that they were running out of shit all weekend. Like it was bad. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the spin magazine, uh, coverage of it, uh, really goes into detail uh, of the, of the med tents. I mean, when you're in there, I mean like what, what are kind of, if you can remember like the sights and sounds of being inside of Woodstock 99 medical tent, <laughs> So again, with Liz's experience in day one, it was actually kind of calm because they were just like, all right, run of the mill dehydration. They were probably prepared for it because I, I was a first responder for 21 years. And you, you, when you do large scale events, you think in advance, obviously you have the right people prepping for, all right, what's the weather going to be? How many people are we expecting? What do we need? So they had it down to a T when you went in there. It was, it was actually, it was like, a little oasis on day one because it was it had portable air conditioning in there it was literally the, right. the perfect spot to be in it was a respite for people so if people were dummied up a lot of people would be faking injuries to get in there if they needed to cool down a little bit you know <laughs> but i think they were i remember going in on that and i remember specifically a kid uh having a bad trip that they were trying to deal with Oy. And he was dehydrated on top of it. And you just heard him talking ragtime, but at points you heard the staff laughing. Because, <laughs> I mean, what can you do at that point? You just play along with it and you're like, you don't make it worse. You're just like, yeah, they're like, whoa, well, what's the troll saying to you? You know, like, you know? Right. <laughs> but, it, you know, 
I wasn't hearing a lot of like agonizing pain. I think that it was quiet in a way because a lot of the stuff they dealt with was dehydration. Because people, when and when you're dehydrated, you're not saying much, you know. So when I was in there with the yeah. nose injury, I I think that what happened was that the the medical tent was more of for the low grade stuff. And I think that the, the they had the ambulances ready to go when they had the teams that went out and just checked somebody out, like that poor kid who passed away. Like they just yeah. shipped them right out in an ambulance. Like they gauged the injury off the stage and went from there. And I think that that's what they were doing was little pop up. Like, all right, we got a medical team by the side of the stage. This kid's got a broken arm. All right, they can't stay here. Ship them out to the hospital. In hindsight, after working with what I worked with for years, I think that that was the protocol that they used. So when it came to the med tent, pretty simple stuff. Just like, all right, you're having a bad trip. Just sit here, have a Gatorade and ride it out, kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just how it went. Gatorade is just like their, their catch-all. Like, pretty much. The, I, I, the funniest part was I remember Liz on day one saying to me, she goes, you get a Gatorade? I'm like, you have an IV. They're not going to give you both. And I'm like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> she's still she's a dear friend of mine to this day and she still brings that up every time she goes you got a gatorade for free and i'm like yeah <laughs> well, something, we got something for free at this event so i know you saved like 12 dollars. yeah by day three i think it was probably seven or eight on day one but man inflate woodstock inflation could be its own episode right, right? woodstock math yeah no <laughs> yeah we, we used to keep uh an inflation calculator like handy like always pulled up when we would do the show just to like be like oh how much was that oh it was fucking this much so uh you know after limp biscuit i mean you have that's the big three so it's limp biscuit rage and then metallica yeah. i mean so, so you go get rage. your nose checked out okay so now and i've talked about this you know a, a bunch of times but like it always seemed like the rage crowd was a little more mellow than Limbiscuit, but what we always said was it's probably because it's just dark out so the footage doesn't look yeah. the, the same i mean what was your experience well i also think that we're that the rage and limp crowds aren't exactly as on brand with each other as a lot of folks tried to paint them out to be um sure i think that the limp biscuit crowd was more of the gateway drug for a lot of kids to new battle where rage at that point had a lot of street cred with a very with a and i'm not gonna throw daggers at the limp biscuit crowd here but i think that the rage crowd was more politically savvy in tune with the message of the band i think that they conveyed two yeah. different messages and i it was it was don't get me wrong it was an intense crowd but not a reckless crowd so to speak so i think that the pits were definitely working but they weren't as reckless as the limp crowd and i think that after the limp uh, we have to think about this if you take a step back i think that limp came out of the gates and basically said we're here and they used it as a litmus test for themselves to say this we're going to own this event and they grabbed it by the horns and ran with it because they knew that their and fred's so smart as a businessman that i think that they looked at that this is our opportunity we're going to have people remember our moment and we don't care who comes on after us basically saying top that I, 
Yeah. I think that's what happened. I agree. Yeah. So. Well, and also, I mean, you know, when people try and blame them for instigating the crowd or poking the bear or whatever, if you watch them at any other concert of that time, like Family Values or any of that stuff, it's the same show. It, is. it didn't change. You know, it was just it's just more people, you know, so they, they weren't doing anything necessarily on purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, in my opinion, it's just it just had a different effect than usual. <laughs> you well, know? when the promoters are just looking at the bottom line and how much money that they can make out of it, and they go, "Who's the hottest band? I know nothing about them." It's a completely different animal yeah. than it was in the '60s. You want to talk about the the polar opposite mindset of the events? That's what you dealt with in '99. So you know what? You get what you want, and you want what you get. That's basically what ended up happening to the promoters on that. And uh, I think Fred and Limp get too much grief for it. Sure, they 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 found an untapped audience that gravitated to them quickly, um, and they had that, as you said, that Jimi Hendrix moment. They did. They stole. They yeah. they left such a ripple effect on the rest of the evening. Uh, I remember that that was the buzz going around, like. Did you all see, like, they're like, yo, did you see Limp's crowd? Like, you would hear it. Like, yo, they were tearing shit down. Like, even before any, like, of the hype happened afterwards, we were like, at that point was kind of the red flag, too. Because we're like, all right. Right, yeah. Like, if folks are willing to start tearing it down for Limp, and it's the beginning of night two, is it going to continue on this path and just completely deteriorate? Like, that was a valid question, I think, that was lurking in the back of some folks' heads. Because you're like, yeah, I'm caught up in the moment. This is awesome. Let's have fun. Because I've been to shows in the Boston area where uh, there's a summertime venue here uh, where basically when you leave the show, they have wooden fences that go down a hill, like kind of like the Hollywood Bowl has. It's just set up like that. And I remember being at an OzFest in 97 where people were trying to get out and everybody was mooing because we felt like moos getting to the slaughter. <laughs> but then all of a sudden you started hearing crack, 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 rip. So if people think that at Woodstock 99 was the first time that a crowd started tearing things down because they were frustrated or just wanted to get out, this has happened to plenty yeah, of places. Yeah, that would have been... Uh... Woodstock 69 would probably be the first when people tore the place apart. How meta, right? <laughs> Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, but lest we forget, you know, people people always forget that the first one was not like great. You know, no. it's it's just it's just notorious. And and I mean, you know, at first I was bitter uh, when all these documentaries were coming out. Um, you know, because I was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, you didn't fucking have us on. You know, mm -hmm. uh, like we're like we're like we're such pros. But um, like you know, it's like I'm glad that now Woodstock '99 does have its like fixed place in history. Like for sure, the same and not the same reasons, but the same way the original Woodstock. It does. did, and and I I think that it, it's an easier look back for referential material because it was so heavily covered by so many different media outlets and yeah the press conferences that they had daily if you were at the venue you didn't know that the event organizers were having press conferences daily about the conditions and what the reporters were reporting on you it's in the, in many ways like if you speak to veterans they don't know what people are talking about on like the war front you're too busy fighting the war right like you're yeah. just you just trying to get through the day and you know and I, I basically you're so worried about just getting through by the, by saturday night all right so i'll just i'll just stick with saturday night because it was so memorable yeah yeah so that limp 
set the tone for it. And and I feel like Rage a little bit got their wings clipped by the limp set because Rage put on an awesome set. But that was such a a time-defining moment that we had just been a part of before, and so many people were recovering, I think, from letting it all out from limp that, and again, we discussed the audience differences as well, that was it the fact that the audience looked at rage a little differently, that they handled themselves differently. But I remember just having just as much uh, fun, if not more at that, at rage, because I wasn't constantly have to worry about where a random fist was coming from. You know what I mean? Right. So I think it was a more educated crowd in that regard on how to handle yourself in pits around your, uh, knowing your surroundings. But I just remember just saying like, all right, I just can't wait for the main event tonight because to see the big boys Metallica at a Woodstock show because they they had a hell of a set at ninety four. What are they going to do for yeah. ninety nine? Yeah. And I, I just I know Rage had a hell of a set. I felt like they got their wings clipped a little bit just because Limp literally stole before we had. And I'm holding up a cell phone for the folks that are listening at home. Right. Before we had any of yeah. this, like. And again, it goes back to the culture at the time was so different and trying to paint this picture for a modern crowd where everybody had beepers, right? I think that did, sure, didn't yeah. they have the internet area from what I remember in a documentary? Yeah. Yeah. They had an internet cafe yeah. like in, in one spot. They also had a post office. I mean, yeah, they had all kinds of stuff. But yeah, they definitely had <laughs> like, an internet cafe. You want like they thought of everything for this and i mean they had woodstock 99 brand uh phone cards too to use at the phone base. oh my god i don't remember that yeah here i actually i'm gonna i'm gonna break the uh break the rule here and do something uh visual on the audio show but check this out this Get is one out. of four gold-plated commemorative uh Woodstock, it has the lineup on the back, and, and this isn't even the lineup that ended up happening. These were made so ahead of time but these are this is actual gold-plated yeah 22 that's karat wild gold. i have yeah, they made four of them. I have all four. Get out of <laughs> but, uh, here. So they made all kinds of shit. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. I do, so I do remember the lines for the phone banks, but I remember leaving uh, home and saying, I'll talk to you Sunday night or Monday. Because we were planning on staying till the end and driving back like late Sunday. But this plays into now before the rage set, because the medical tent wasn't too far away from our tents. Liz kept ducking back and forth, getting a beer. I was dealing with the nose thing, so I stopped back at the tent, got a bottle of water, and that's when I started noticing the toilets. That's when I started noticing, all right, we may want to move. Like we were at Oy. we were at that point. But it, it's it was starting to come out. It wasn't fully encroaching on the tents yet, but it was something that I was very cognizant of. It's like the blob yeah essentially that you know like <laughs> yeah, like it's gonna happen it's just a matter of am i gonna time this out or not so i do remember saying hey i remember nudging her and she's like that's gross and i'm like it's gonna be even grosser if we wake up tomorrow morning and we're swimming in it but Ugh, i don't fuck, think people yeah. and then again like i was saying people were bathing in those water sources and i remember the the water lines i think that ran to the showers people were just cutting those off at the pass and their water was just getting everywhere. So now, obviously in hindsight, people are like, well, yeah, you have raw sewage meeting water. It's going to spread. 
at the time people were so caught up in the mental headspace of having that 94 moment and getting on MTV that they thought it was just mud for the people that were away from it was anybody so basically this was the, this is what happened <laughs> I, I could like see like the defeat and like the like terror like as your guys it's coming out of you and you're telling this it's, story it like, like your face <laughs> common sense is out the window but i do remember saying to liz and angela and I, I don't know if other people have told you this but if you're people that were the the, the 99 mud people if you saw them anywhere near the stage or any of the shows i said don't get close to them i i said that's not i go you know what's out there and they're like oh no but folks were there were so many people there in so many different areas people were camping that the it didn't compute yet for a lot of people they're like oh Ugh. they're like where's the mud and it's like Fuck it's like that. there's a toilet right there pal you might as well just stick your head in it you know just go for it oh. <laughs> but it, it yeah that that's uh you know I, I often wonder about those people now like like if their hindsight is like i was absolutely just covered head to toe and shit yeah <laughs> like you yeah. know like if they ever like reminisce and just kind of have to i wonder how that. many people have the nickname pink eye like 23 years yeah. later <laughs> like by their friends like oh it's pink eye how to get that name told about woodstock 99 you know? Oh, well, you know that someone definitely like saved their like shit caked shirt and has it like framed in their house. Like that's what I wore at Woodstock, and it's just like shit on their wall. After after the documentaries but, uh, came out, I think I saw one going for about seven grand on eBay. Oh yeah. Oh, after the documentaries came out, like I I used to be the only person looking for this shit. All right, and then fucking after that, then everything skyrocketed. It sucks. But uh, like, yeah, I I had so much shit at one time. We were sending it out to people as gifts, like for our Patreon subscribers. And now now there's just no more Woodstock. Oh shit. my god. Like, yeah. yeah, it's it's all been, it's all been bought up. But let's get back to it. So it's it's Saturday yep. night. Like, do do you move the? Did you end up moving your tent? Like right no, when you realized no, that? No, no. I actually we <laughs> we. And even by the end of that night, it still wasn't close enough to warrant it. I said, I still think we, I said, we're going to be packing this tent up tomorrow anyways. And it's not here yet. But what luckily what ended up happening was the section we were in had uh, where the grass met the cement. There was a little bit of a lip. So the excess wasn't full flood mode, but it kind of created a small buffer. So it kind of channeled off. And that was probably... 30 feet from us so at that point i mean did it stink the the toilet stunk from friday night on the water at that and i think at that point what happened was a lot again a lot of the the confluence of everything that came together i think you were so desensitized to things and saying we're getting near toilets anywhere we're going to smell the same thing and then bo the amount of body odor was off the charts because again people couldn't use showers by the by the saturday afternoon the water was already being hijacked from the showers you had people lining up i remember sunday morning the line for those cement circles with the water spigots in them you had a line of 200 people waiting to hop in there to shower in those and i and one of the things that we had heard a few days after the event was that the water was contaminated to begin with in that area because you know the wild stuff that went on at Air Force bases back in the 40s and 50s and stuff. Oh, 
Yeah, it, that Griffiths uh, in particular, uh, and I mean, now I'm going way back in, in our in our catalog for this info, but um, uh, and it, it was a hazardous waste disposal site. And at one point in time, it was given the highest rating for like toxic soil that you can possibly get. Uh, and so that, perfect spot yeah. for having 300,000 people uh, attend, right? Yeah. Yeah, on our uh, on our Patreon folks, patreon.com slash culture dumps. Um, I had my uncle on who's a hazardous waste specialist and he like and, and like Griffiths is something that they teach you about, like in school when you're when you're learning how to dispose of waste, like you learn about that shit. And he was saying like it's like from like World War Two on, you know, that's where like you know, harsh chemicals that they use to like blast shit off of metal with and, and carve into metal and like acids and like, you know, all kinds of adhesives and weird shit like that. That's all been in the soil for a decades. And then now you're drinking the water. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, people are bathing in it. Like it's just, it's just, and, and we didn't know that deep of a dive into it because we, we had an air force base here in Massachusetts where uh, in the eighties it got um, shut down because it was causing uh, p pregnant women in the area to have severely disabled children. So, Jesus you know, we were, we were already like had it on our radar and it was in the back of my head because it grew up around the news reports. So I'm like, what's this place got? You know what I mean? But right. at that point, I'm like, I really don't have a choice now. I, I can go back to the med tent and pretend like I got something else going on to get into the free Gatorade, but that's just, I'm going to miss more stuff. And I think it was a lot of Things were so far spread apart. That was the thing. It's like we were literally at the furthest point campsite from the main stage. So when we were doing the math in our head about what we wanted to miss, what we wanted to, to drink or buy, we had to kick that walk into consideration as well. And I, I think that that was another obvious reason that contributed to a lot of people's health issues there. But I do remember that all that pain went away. All the BS went away by the time Metallica took the stage because it was the one like, look, yeah, they were a huge act. Their their albums at the time um, weren't exactly the most popular, but you know, I remember growing up on them. So to be able to see them in this massive moment was an experience for me. So enjoyed every minute of that. Was exhausted, but then I think one of the other major moments in my memory bank came back because we were walking by the rave hangar and yeah <sighs> everyone always wants to hear about this everyone wants to hear about the rave. well always i didn't go in but i saw enough <laughs> on the outside to to give me a lifetime full of stories so i remember liz had had a few too many sarsaparillas so she was a little wobbly and we're walking back <laughs> and i'm looking off to my left at where the rave uh, hangar was. And I see this woman on a boyfriend's shoulders or a gentleman's shoulders, whatever they are. And he's got glow bracelets on. She's got a glow necklace on and she's got no clothing on top to bottom. And I'm looking and I'm like, oh, he has a glow necklace on. And I go, that's not a glow necklace. Um, She had something inserted on her... Oh, geez. Yeah, on her hind end while she was on his shoulders. <laughs> and I... Just complete debauchery. I I remember just pushing Liz's shoulder. This, like, sober up for half a second. You have to see this. She's like, what, what? <laughs> and she looked and she goes, I don't see. It. I'm like, oh, God. I'm like, I can't be the only one seeing this right now. That's all I kept saying. Like, this is... 
this is just out of control right now. Like uh, it's hedonism meets Woodstock meets all this wild stuff, but Hey, you know what? Good on them. They're living in the moment, right? Yeah. Hey, you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as long as it's uh yeah, as long as everyone's cool, then I'm cool. Right, with it. Hey. So I, I mean now, Obviously, you know, you'd been to OzFest and big concerts and things, but had you had any experience with like the electronic scene or the rave scene at all? Or was this a completely new? It, it, I had, I had, you? um, because I worked at the record store, I, uh, I, my, my buddy Scott was a, a DJ and I was turned on to, you know, just the, the gateway drugs like Aphex Twin, like Prodigy, obviously, because they were becoming huge at the time. Uh, Chemical Brothers, he introduced me to, um, uh, it tricky as well like a few of them they were more of the the pop end of stuff but then ironically after woodstock 99 i really started getting into to uh electronic music yeah yeah it wasn't and it wasn't from so, that experience I, I did not ex anticipate running into that ever again but at the same time I, I just my music taste just changed over time and just evolved a little yeah, sure, sure. It, it happens. I mean, so as you're walking past the the Raven, you see that, which is insane, and then and then you, you I mean, like, what is there anything else that's like kind of striking you as as like this is a whole different level of, well, of Woodstock right now? I do remember it, it wasn't as much of a bro fest in my eyes as people thought. I just think it was just a lot of people in one place. It was like imagine if a carnival shut down at like 10 at night and it still had full capacity right like and it's <laughs> middle of summer uh, like a lot of people just wanting to do more and i remember going back to the tent and just people were staying up all night people were just hanging out having fun they were exhausted uh altered for sure a lot i did see a lot of people uh whether they drank too much or just dehydrated vomiting um I do. I, right. the The weird part was it was, you know, people. A lot of people were very hungry, and that's when I started seeing like, wait a minute, the price is, is it? I thought it was like, wait a minute, is the food more expensive at this stand versus this stand? Like, there's no consistency. Like, I do remember being like, wait a minute, I just paid for the sausage, pepper, and onion this morning, like six seventy five. Now all of a sudden it's like eight fifty. Like, what's going on? Like that's when I started seeing things just not jiving. I'm like, is it me? Like at that point, you start questioning yourself. Like maybe I'm just so screwed up from the weather and all this stuff that I'm just not gauging it right. Yeah, I mean, it it is odd that you know. I mean, well, not odd. It's fucked up that like the prices would increase at like the longer the festival went on. Because usually, I mean, if anything, what would make sense would be to drop it a little bit to get rid of inventory and you know all that stuff. But it's like, no, we know that these people have less money than they had the entire weekend. Let's make everything more expensive. I don't know. It's like mm -hmm. that's like the true like kind of malicious nature uh, of the festival. I feel like because there really is no reason for it. there's no logic behind it either. It's like there there wasn't enough money on the grounds to like buy that shit anyway. No. you know so what, what yeah so i i mean after metallica after you go after after you go to the rave <laughs> and you see you know fucking glow stick girl i mean it, and then you, you go to bed you wake up now it's sunday it's the last day i mean what's the place looking it's, like it looks like at this point because uh well documented there was no trash services none um everything had overflown all the bins had overflown any of them that were or over overflowed any of them that were still upright because Sunday morning is when I did a bit of a temperature check 
And at that point I said, I saw what I wanted to see. It would be nice to be here for the closing ceremonies. Don't get me wrong. Really wasn't a big chili peppers guy. Like I liked them, but not as much considering all the circumstances to hang around. But when I did started uh, to see was people ripping down the artist murals, the walls. Uh, that that was my favorite thing. They're way around walls where we're calling it the artist murals, right? Like they had some name right, for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you can paint shit. The peace wall. The peace wall. Yeah. Which I we were there starting to that was one of the things I remember that morning was the sound of the wood and the sound of the the steel around it cracking. And I was like the natives are restless. Like, yeah, like sure. this isn't cool. And I'm like, look, we're breaking the tent down and we're going to put it in the car and come back in. And I said, you know what? Let's put it back in the car. And at that point, I think we only took one of the tents with us. We're like, you know what? This place is filthy. You know, like one, we, one, yeah. we did a quick check on saying, you know what? We spent money on it. We can save this one. So we put the stuff in the car. I remember her cousin was wiped. She was like, you know what? I don't need to stay anymore. And I think she had taken something too. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I, and we were, we were more playing like big brother, little brother to her at points. And we just didn't, we wanted to make sure she got home safe or we would have gotten reamed. But I remember walking around and just seeing how unrestful people were. And it was like 11 a.m. on Sunday. And we went to the main stage and I said, who's playing today? And I said, you know, not enough to make me want to stay. So I think we were on the road by 1.30 to go home. Yeah. And then we get back to the Boston area. I remember they were both sound asleep in the car. I, I drove the, what, three and a half, four hours home. Got them back to the suburb of Weymouth and uh, walked into Liz's house. And her mom and dad are like, we're watching it right now. We're like, what are you talking about? And they're like... It's on fire. Oh my God. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's got to be a crazy feeling to know that you like just missed that. You like, know, and then to see, like, and also kind of bizarre to see a place that you were just at on TV. Well, and it's know? so, yeah. And I think you hit it right on the head because you're like, I was there. I was just there. I was just there. I was just there. And you're like, this, like and but meanwhile Liz and I look at each other like well no shit like yeah <laughs> like we saw it coming and we felt that vibe and you know when we I remember we made just two stops one for gas and one to to make a phone call from the rest area and I I called my house to be like yeah I'm on my way home and my mom's like we're watching the news stuff that's going on there seems awful and it, it, the fires weren't starting yet but the news was reporting that the walls were getting ripped down Limp Biscuit was all over the news already. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, we're out of there. I go, <laughs> there wasn't enough to keep yeah, me yeah. there at that time. It was just not fun at that point. And like, if I'm, if I'm already like fatigued and pissed off and tired, you can't keep me anywhere to save your life. Period. I, I just, there's nothing that you could say like, oh, stay for <laughs> this, stay for a $10 hot dog now. Right. Like, no, fuck you. I'm out of here. You know, like just, Right. So we drove back and then I remember walking into my <laughs> into my mom and grandmother's place and my grandmother was blind at the time before she passed and I remember 
her listening to the news. She's sitting in a rocking chair and she's like, oh, thank God you're home. And I'm like, I go, yeah, I go, got a little touch and go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, now, obviously it, it didn't strike you as much of a surprise that fires are popping up and stuff. But once it start, once that started kind of evolving into people, you know, tearing shit apart mm-hmm. and blowing up the trucks, I mean, did that come as a shock to you or did that all seem like par for the no, course by, from so what you experienced? By Monday was when I think that the news outlets started really reporting on it. Um, I remember CNN reporting it. Like all of a sudden it, it skipped from tuning into MTV. I think what was a pay-per-view all weekend, right? They had, they yeah, were doing like, yeah. you know, pay-per-view for watching the show. And then the side reporting was on MTV and stuff. It went from MTV, you know, they're contractually bound by these folks. Let me turn on another news source to see what's really going on. Right. Sure. So I turned it on and then I remember those images that they closed the documentary with we saw in the news that following monday of just everything torched destroyed all of that and i did i think that the crowd would get to that level no didn't i thought people would just be pissed off rip down a few fences but not completely destroy the place i didn't but it doesn't come as a shock now i mean i, I you know i'm I'm in my mid forties now and you know, age does provide some cynicism and, but more wisdom than I like to think. And you put people, young people for the most part in an event like that, do not value their worth as a baseline human being. And then not just be, be apologetic from the already above market prices on a Friday but say an extra fuck you and I'm going to make sure you leave with nothing. Yeah. This makes complete sense to me. Now, you know, obviously besides the, the fires and all that stuff, the other, you know, big, uh, black mark on on the face of Woodstock 99 is all the reports of mm-hmm. the sexual assaults and those things. Now, when that stuff starts hitting the news, I mean, did that shock you at all? Or, or, did, or were you seeing kind of behavior that you could kind of imagine it, it going like that south? I mean, or, or was or did that come as a surprise to hear, you know, what some of the women were going through? Well, in the late 90s, when you first started going into bar scenes, especially around major cities, you're going to see the bro crowd just picking out their target and just trying to, you know, just get what they want for the night, right? Yeah, did sure. you, did I ever think it would go so far as to completely wipe away any bit of humanity and respect in their eyes for the opposite gender? No, but there were guys trying, I mean, what was one of the big selling points that was forced down people's throats? Peace and love and 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 people groping and this is the girls gone wild era like lest we forget that so you have these sexually charged guys who are ready just who just want to have sex at woodstock to have like bragging rights right did i think it would devolve into sexual assaults and rape if you asked me on friday no by sunday even then i would I wouldn't go as that as far as to say, yeah, I think it would devolve into that, but because I, I thought there was more camaraderie amongst the concert goers to say we're all in this hell together. But then again, I don't think like everyone. 
and I especially do not yeah. think like a rapist. So yeah, fucking predator. Yeah, exactly. So I can never rule that out, no matter what setting. But if the sexual predator is a match, Woodstock, with what they did to the human psyche during that weekend, was the gasoline. So, I, I in hindsight, no, it doesn't shock me at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's some dark shit, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, so uh, overall, I mean, it, I mean, obviously, there's been documentaries about it, and there's a lot of things to learn as far as like mob mentality and kind of just like where youth culture was at in the '90s. I mean, is Woodstock '99 worth talking about? Uh, you know, is, is it worth remembering? Is it worth you know t taking a look at? You know, in, the, in the, like the way that we have or these documentaries. I mean, is there something? Is there something of merit there? Uh, what's the phrase about history? If we don't acknowledge it, it's doomed to repeat itself, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that we should always have a place for music, art, politics, always have a place where people can congregate in mass to be able to celebrate and live life together. Um, but once you start putting these major companies behind stuff, I mean, look, look at what those poor folks that went to Firefest went through. You know what I mean? Yeah. like i yeah. think and everybody and you got coachella it, which has been you know it hasn't been too bad but it's never really gotten the legs that the monster that woodstock had you know what i mean and i think the other thing was that you know woodstock was an event that was spoken of for decades and hyped about and romanticized and time life did documentaries on it how important a cultural moment it was so when 94 happened it was such a large gap in between that people were like, oh, wow, my generation has a moment to replicate this. They didn't anticipate the, the amount of rain and stuff like that. But then to have one five years later on the 30th anniversary, and look, an anniversary is an anniversary. I get it. But 25 is like bigger than 30, in my opinion. This just clearly came well, across. 30 would have, been, would have been a big deal if they didn't do a 25. You know, it's like... The, yep. the short amount of time between them it's like such an obvious cash grab like from the very start yes a hundred percent but it, you know for kids at the time who may have been 13 or 14 who couldn't have gone to 94 they jumped at this because they're like oh man i want to i want to grab that live wire that was 94 and have my moment to talk to my friends about i was there when this happened and i think that that has turned into something that they never anticipated i think it's turned into instead of saying yeah the mud people yeah this you know this band was great now i think for them for better or worse and i think for better because it's a learning experience i think for better that we can still you know uh isolate in, in silo the musical acts talk about them yeah but i think that you you have to acknowledge the elephant in the room of the culture around the moment and the culture around that moment took over any historic music performance in a positive way um i mean obviously i think that limp biscuit will always be the flag bearers for 99 um absolutely they're the godfathers of woodstock 99. they will yeah, for sure. and i think that what's lost in that is that th these guys became new metal icons in that moment and i think that 
it's lost on it because it's kind of weaved into some negativity that happened around it. And I think that that's shedding the onus that the guys who ran the show should own to this day. And the fact that they are still unwilling to acknowledge that, really, even through the documentaries, they kind of give a shoulder oh, shrug yeah. to it. And I know one of them passed away this year, but at the same time, it's, you know, I I, I think that you know, Fred's been relatively quiet for 20 years, and I know they came back with new albums and stuff, and I kind of hear about stuff because I'm so busy with my family, with the film I'm working on and everything. I, I still always turn my head because whenever I think of Fred, I think of 99, and I think everyone does, right? Oh, well, I mean, they came out after the Netflix documentary. They played Lollapalooza, and uh, he said, this isn't some Woodstock 99 shit. <laughs> you know, we got to keep it chill. Like, he, like, acknowledges it, <laughs> and, like, he's got, and he's got, like, this, like, whole dad vibes thing that he's doing. <laughs> like, it's like, like, he's in on it, you know, and I, and I love it's that. savvy. And, like, now there's, like, there's, like, memes where it's showing him at, like, some major festival, like, this year in, like, Europe or something, a giant circle pit, and he's, like, staring at it like he's having a flashback, <laughs> and, like, people are, like, people are making, like, a whole thing of it it's hilarious so it's like the, their legacy has definitely kind of evolved as far as the impact woodstock 99 has had on it like you know it's it's no it's now it's more of like oh those are the guys that did that as opposed to like those are the guys that did it's part that. of their gimmick you know i mean it, yeah yeah, it, yeah. And you know what smart business move smart business move i mean he always knew. So uh, I know you got all kinds of projects going on. Uh, you know, podcast. You got a film coming out. What do you got? Oh going man, on? thank you. I uh, yeah, for four years. Um, I mean, the pandemic definitely affected things. But um, before I, I before I survived Woodstock '99, I I survived this place called Spooky World in what in uh, Massachusetts back in the '90s. It was the very first horror specific theme park in the world. And that sounds it sick. was awesome. And especially in the DIY time in the 90s where not everything was as flashy. It was very much like, all right, a lot of practical effects, things like that. Like it, it basically it, it opened the gateway to enjoying film and horror for me. And I became friends with the guy who owned it. Uh, met him about five, six years ago, buying a pin online. Because I remember my uncle, my <laughs> uncle took me there and they used to have this act called Dead Elvis in the Colonel. And they would warm up the lines walking into the park and the, Elvis would be, you know, overweight, playing a guitar, but dressed up like a zombie. So I remember getting a pin that said, I think I saw Elvis at Spooky World, right? So I lost. Dude, this sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, like he, they knew how to market everything. It was very tongue in cheek, schlock stuff. Lloyd, actually, James Gunn, his very first filming job was with Troma and he filmed a scene at Spooky World for Tromeo and Juliet. So a guy who's now oh. a billion dollar filmmaker, his very first scenes that he ever filmed were there. Not to mention the Tonight Show with Jay Leno did a live wedding there on Halloween night. <laughs> yeah, Tiny Tim got married the second time. They tried to reenact the, the highest rated TV segment in television history outside of The Man on the Moon was Tiny Tim's wedding on The Tonight Show in the 70s. And they did the yeah. second one at Spooky World. So, yeah, and the, <laughs> they used to have the Today Show there. It's not scary yeah. enough that some poor fucking girl is uh, now going to wed fucking the scariest man to ever have lived. <laughs> yeah. So well, we get into we get in depth on that, and we also get in depth on this film's got a little everything. Uh, small town politics trying to get back at a guy who comes to this small little farm town employs all of the people in town 
puts money in their pockets, creates this like little mini Hollywood out of nowhere, has all celebrities showing up doing autographs, which is unheard of at the time. This was before conventions became a huge thing. So you'd go right. through all their haunted houses. You'd have Elvira, Kane Hodder, who played Jason, Robert England, who played Freddy Krueger, all waiting for you at the end to do autographs with you. So to have that experience as a kid at that time, you never knew you could do that. So we wanted to basically show what has helped the conventions, what actually set the trajectory of like, you know, horror nights in Hollywood and things like that. They saw Spooky World, what they were doing, and they influenced the whole industry. Now you have them everywhere across the country. But um, yeah. yeah, the film actually took four years to make. Tried trying to make a documentary during a pandemic on a, a bi-coastal production because we had a production team in Boston, which was me and a couple others. And then we had the production team in LA and the director in LA. And trying to do all of that was just an absolute, we need to make a documentary about that. But um, right. it took four years, but we finally have it coming out, our world premiere in Austin at Fantastic Fest on September 23rd, um, which is cool because uh, Lloyd Kaufman, our dear friend, is also going to be there. He's going to have his Toxic Avenger oh, yeah. debut. And uh, then we have a couple more that they haven't officially announced yet um, that we can't wait. There's a really, really, really big one that's going to take place. And uh, I'll forward that info to you as soon as we're allowed to say it. Contractually, we can't. But our friend Spencer Charnas from the band Ice Nine Kills, he uh, grew up going to Spooky World and reached out to us a little over a year ago. And uh, we brought him on as a producer. And he's going to be in it. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah. And we're also going to be September 8th, 9th, and 10th at his convention in Danvers, Massachusetts called Silver Scream Con, where our executive producer, Tom Savini, will be there. Uh, you'll be able oh, yeah. yeah so yeah man he actually uh, helped build and design uh the main haunted house at spooky world in the 90s so tom's gonna be wow. there spencer will be there i'll be there our director quinn monahan and the guy who created spooky world david bertolino will be there as well uh so we really hope you folks will be able to make it out to danvers mass september 8th 9th and 10th yeah, man, that sounds awesome. I that's like that documentary is exactly the kind of shit that I awesome, watched, dude. So I'll I, make sure I, I get you a I copy. I can't wait to see it myself. Yeah, please do. And thanks for coming on, man. I'm glad you survived to <laughs> tell the tale of Woodstock '99. Um, you know, maybe uh, one day that that'll become its own horror movie. You know, I'm picturing like a a cat. Oh, you know what? Speaking of cabin fever and like bacteria that makes people go crazy, what happened oh. to you with the bottle of water and getting sick? Oh, sorry. Here, here we go. Perfect ending. So we got home, watched the news, and then I think it was Tuesday. I started feeling beyond sick, like food poisoning to another level sick. And so did my girlfriend at the time. And it turns out that the water that we drank clearly was contaminated. So we had oh, some yeah. kind of an E. coli situation that went on. But I think in yeah. the span of two weeks, I think I lost 25 pounds. It was that bad. God damn. Yeah, actually, um, the, the, some folks did test the water and there was trace amounts of it was awful uh, it found in, in lots of it. So that's what happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's fucking crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. So now we've had a guy that, that actually got arrested at Woodstock. We have a guy that got E. coli at fucking Woodstock. I mean, uh, if we're, we're checking off lists here. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, man. It's been awesome talking to you and uh, I'm sure we'll talk. I again. appreciate it, my friend. You take care. All righty. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll, uh, yeah, did send any uh, any info about that movie, dude. I want to see that.
Oh, killer, yeah. 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 Well, there you have it, folks. That was an incredible and very detailed survivor story. So thank you so much, Anthony. Uh, yeah, I mean, check out all of his stuff. That that, that documentary sounds amazing. Um, and, you know, we, we, again, we, we do have the mystery tape up on Patreon. I want to remind you guys of that. And also, if, uh, if folks ever wonder what we do with uh, our Patreon uh, earnings, um, one of the things that we're working on right now, um, our, our longtime friend, uh, Survivor Andy, has given me this box with about, like, almost 30 tapes of uh, recorded Woodstock 99 footage from, from, like, TV airings and also some Woodstock 94. So we're in the process of funding... Um, you know, digitizing all of that stuff so we can put that up on Patreon as well. So, you know, the, the, it, it's a it's a cyclical thing. So do, do uh, give us a, a subscribe on, on Patreon if you can. It really helps us out. That's patreon.com slash culture dumps. Um, and as always, I'm Ryan Lichten. Thank you for listening. If you went to, worked at, or played Woodstock 99, contact us at podcast99official at gmail.com or at podcast99 on Instagram. Thanks, and we'll see you at Woodstock. Fuck.